And now if you'll take out your word, um, I'll be reading from 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 1 through 22. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second, Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Then all of the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But this thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day I bought them out, up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they also are doing to you. Now then, obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. He said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his grant and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be his perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, No, but there shall be a king over us, that we may also be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And when Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of, I'm assuming that's the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, Christ Central. Thank you, Amy, for reading that scripture for us. Uh, there is some more there to the text. We just had a little technical difficulty there. But if you have Bibles at home, you can see the rest of that, the rest of verse 21 and also verse 22, which I'll refer to that uh, later on in the sermon uh, as I bring it to you this morning. Uh, for those of you who are guests with us, um, my name is Omari Hill. I'm one of the assistant pastors here at Christ Central. And our pastor, Howard Brown, who's been preaching for the past few weeks faithfully, is taking some time, much needed time off with his family. Uh, Kelly, who's also been leading us in worship faithfully week after week, 
is also taking some time off. So um, our prayers are going to the Brown family right now and just asking God that he would grant them refreshment and rest. And if they were here, we do this to them. And, uh, well, we miss you guys. And uh, um, Pastor Derek is also not here uh, either uh, with us, helping us with our live stream service. And so we miss him too. And I've been grateful for his service. And uh, Pastor Derek, that's for you too. All right. Uh, so we've been going through 1 Samuel uh, as a sermon series for the past few weeks, um, probably at least eight weeks now. We've been going through uh, the book of 1 Samuel as we look at the crown and look at some of the, uh, the beginning of what God has begun to bring uh, his kingdom, how God began to bring his kingdom on earth. And currently, we are living in troubled times, are we not? We live in insecure times. We know about job loss. We know about physical distancing from those that we love. We've even become suspicious of one another sometimes due to the virus or maybe due to our stance on reopening the economy. Of course, we're hoping and praying that we don't get that phone call about someone close to us who is either dead or dying. One word could be used to describe our experience. I would say that word is claustrophobia. Right? From being confined by a state-at-home order, but also feeling confined by a global state of affairs that, that seems to have no end in sight. As if someone has come into our home and held us hostage, what was meant to be our home, which is this planet, now feels a little bit more like a prison. Right? You keep your head down and work, sometimes zoomed out right, on, on, online, but if you keep your head down and you work, and when, when you need, need some air, the guards will let you out and go for a run <laughs> in the yard. The air feels a little bit thicker, and our throats are closing in. Our voices are mostly confined to social media and other electronic devices unless you have the privilege of having someone in your house that can actually listen to you. I personally even fantasized about driving on the highway for long hours, right, just to be somewhere, just to go somewhere and maybe bump into one person and kind of hear this story and connect in different ways, see different things. No particular destination in mind, just, just drive, just go. I've even thought about walking through the woods um, for hours at a time until I began to think about when well, there might be some criminals hanging out there in the woods. And uh, I have an overactive imagination. So, um, <laughs> but it, we feel enclosed and disoriented. We long for more pleasant boundaries for our lives, more that is out there to stimulate us, but it's on the other side of the wall. We can't get to it. Truth be told, We've always felt this way. We're just more aware of it now. Suffering and death have a, a way of making our lives feel so much smaller, so much more confined, constrained, and we want to get out. We want a way out that we can count on to be free to live simply on love and peace and abundance. We can live today. This is, what, this is my, my burden for us this morning, is for, for us to understand that we can actually live today, right now, more securely by depending on the mercy of God. Depending on his mercy, we can actually experience 
security and freedom and peace, the kind that our hearts long for. It's a struggle, but we can do it. If we would see uh, three things I'll point out here from this, this text this morning, our need, our foolishness, and God's faithfulness. Well, if we begin to, we, we, can, we can begin to really depend on God's mercy and experience the security that comes from it if we would see our need, our own foolishness, and God's faithfulness. So first, our need. The people groups of the ancient Near East uh, were just like us. They desired an abundant life, just like any normal person would. Many times we're inclined to believe that the way to secure that abundant life is to conquer other people. I mean, that's the way that it was in the ancient Near East. They thought, you know, this is, if we're going we're to get together and build our army, and if we want security, we got we to start taking, taking from other people, right? We got to build our kingdom. But when that attitude of oppression creeps into the hearts of God's people, we have a real problem. Look with me again at verse 1. This is interesting. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the, set, the name of his second, Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took, pri they took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. So it says here, as we've been learning all along, that Samuel was a judge. And he was employed by God himself to reconcile differences among the people and even among various businesses, if you will. But he was, uh, judges were also used by God to deliver them in a moment of crises from their, the hands of their enemies. So God's mercy was at work for his people through the judges. But here's the issue. Not only was Samuel aging, being less able to help out everywhere, right? It says that he eventually just camped out in one part of the country. So he, you know, he couldn't get around as well as he, as he could in his younger days. So not only was his aging an issue, but his partners on the bench were corrupt. That's a problem. If the agents of God's mercy become corrupt and oppressive, what are the people supposed to do? Where would their security come from? I look to the hills from which cometh my help, but Lord, please send someone else, right? We know from experience that if there's no justice, there can be no peace. If there's no justice, there can be no peace. This is what God's people were facing as Joel and Abijah exploited the poor to live comfortably among the rich. Israel's future was at stake. With an aging Samuel and his sons doing whatever they could to look out for themselves. See, if you really want to know what's in a man, wait until a moment of crisis and see what he does with his power. What are men doing with their power right now in this moment of crisis? Why has domestic violence continued to increase, creating an environment of so-called intimate terrorism? Why have more Americans been using their words to traumatize and alienate Asian Americans? What are we doing with our power? 
No justice, no peace. Make no mistake. The way it was for Israel, it is for us. The way we use our power is an issue of national security. It's an issue of national security. But to their credit, the people rose up and they took action. See, remember now that this is happening before David becomes king, before Solomon becomes king. All the stuff is happening before there was a united kingdom. But Israel was a loose federation of tribes. And so the elders of the tribes had to come together. They had to work together in order to, to lead their people forward. But the plan that they devised, what they put together, what they cooked up, showed the need of Israel's people was much worse than fixing the justice system. Look with me again at verse 4. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you. But they have rejected me from being king over them, according to all the deeds that they have done. From the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods. So they are also doing to you. So the people, the people of God, mind you, were united in the worst way for their security. They were actually united against God himself. Right? And, and you know, it doesn't seem as insidious on the surface when you first look at it because, I mean, you know, frankly, Samuel's sons were just plain whack, right? You, you look at them like, come on, like these guys are the next in line, what they're doing, you know, yeah, change the government, come on, there's something, something, we're done, right? But then secondly, they at least went to Samuel, right? They, they went to him and, and, and asked for a king. So on the surface, it kind of seems like, okay, that's not too bad. But God sees below the surface. And the clue there for us is actually in verse 5 when it tells us that they not just wanted a king, they wanted a king like other nations. See, the one thing that made Israel different from other nations was having the creator, the one true living God as their king. Right? Nothing else made them different from the other nations. It was the Lord being their king, being present among them. That's what made them different. See, remember God's promise to Abraham, to their forefather. He said, I will be their God and they will be my people. So there was, but there was something about this relationship, something about this covenant that would make Israel a blessing to the entire world. That was God's promise. So Israel was pushing back against their call pushing back against their very identity. Every time God's people took a, a hard pass on allegiance to God alone and try to redefine themselves, they, they lost terribly to their enemies. You read the book of uh, Judges, you see that over and over and over again, right? You know, God's people rebelled. They pushed back against their allegiance to, to the king. Then, oh, we're in trouble. Here comes Gideon. Oh, we're in trouble. Here comes Deborah. Oh, we're in trouble. Here comes Ehud. Over and over and over again. Here are the facts. 
they grew tired of their arrangement with God long before Samuel's shady sons took over. Long before. Like, I, I remember the shock of our last presidential election. And I'm not getting into stuff about who's in office and all that kind of stuff. I'm just talking about the election itself. Remember the shock of it? And, and just, you know, afterwards. And what analysts eventually said, and many of them agreed on, and certainly I felt this way. We wondered, what happened to this country? It is so divided now. But the truth is, we were already divided. It was all, the, the election simply exposed something that was already there. See, for Israel, it was never about Confederate states versus United States. It was about a self-proclaimed right to have safe borders while they determine who they'll be. So they just, you know, they just needed better judges. Right? They could have gone to God and just asked for better judges. There was no need to request a monarchy. Joel and Abijah may have been self-centered men, but all of the people were bent on self-determination. Friends, that's worse, especially if you're supposed to be God's people. I mean, the church can't belong to God and yet reject her God-given identity. Like, th that misses the entire point. A, a terrible idea. It's a terrible idea for a political revolution, but, but one that we're engaged in all the time. How can you stand before God, the God who made you, the God who delivered you from slavery, and declare your independence? Right? If you're a Christian, look at your own heart. Do you want God to bless you while you reserve the right to determine yourself? See, while we've been quarantined, I, like, like many of you, have been forced to slow down and to look, ourse look at ourselves in the mirror and, 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 and see some things, right? And for some of us, we are now like, we're starting to feel confined, restricted, anxious, because we wish that we had a different heritage or different giftings or different spouse or different children or a different gender, a different resume, a different ethnicity, a different story. But God has been defining you to be a blessing in his way, right where you are. See, the, the boundaries of your journey can make you nervous and, and our because our desires are still open to assault, right? It's just, so we reject God as our king. When the sorrows get too deep, we reject God as our king when the violence seems too close. And instead of asking God for a way out, we try to become like the other nations. We need his mercy. We need God's mercy. But we can also take hold of it for security and learn how to depend on it. If we'd see our foolishness, I mean, just look at, look at how humble God is here, right? Look at uh, what he does, how he responds to the people. He actually reasons with us. I mean, God, God allows us to make real choices. He says, look, okay, you can live life your way, but you will not get what you want, right? God, I mean, God lays it on pretty thick here. You know, could this be a principle for parenting? I don't know, maybe. But, but he lays it on pretty thick. 
Let's look again. Verse 10. It says, so Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. He said, this will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvests and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day, you will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. It's, you know, sometimes God, in his mercy, will let you know the consequences of your sin. Just like a good parent would do. They, you know, good parents warn their children about their bad choices. But foolishly, foolishly, we believe that somehow it's going to be different for us. Somehow. Now, um, I, I remember something that I did foolishly as a kid. Um, my mom may be watching right now. Mom, if you're watching, you, you'll get a kick out of this one. But, um, you know, I remember when the first Batman movie came out. The real Batman, you know, Michael Keaton, right? The real Batman. You know, we don't talk about the other guys, those guys who shall not be named. But Michael Keaton and maybe Christian Bale, you know, all right, he, he gets a pass. But Michael Keaton, the Batman movie, so I remember it came out and I was so excited. Like, yeah, so, and um, they had one show that was, I forget, it was like around 6.30, it was early enough. I mean, I was a kid, you know, this is back in the, what, the 80s. And, and so I'm out with my friends and standing online and then the, the, the theater, the tickets were sold out. So we had to wait for the next one. So it's like, okay. And my mom told me, if you're going to be out, call home and let me know. Right? And I'm thinking, man, I ain't going to do that. You know, I'm not going to call home right now. You know, none of my friends, they're not calling their mothers. You know, I'm going to look like a punk if I do that. No, nah, I'm going to just, you know, she's going to be all right. She told me the rule. Okay? So I, I go in. I'm having a good time. I stick around. I come home late. And all I know is it was dead quiet in the apartment. The lights were on. And there was a belt just sitting there. <laughs> Waiting for me, right in the eyesight. <laughs> and my mother tore my behind up. Um, man, <laughs> the rule was for me. I, and, you know, I, I thought I was somehow going to get around that thing. But, you know, but we all think that, right? We think that we're going to be the exception to the rule. Like, oh, okay, this is, what, this is how monarchy works, people. What do you think? You, you would you, you know, adopt, get a king, and oh, it's going to be fine. No, it won't. We can't win against what is written. We can't win. The king will take your best. Right? That's, that's just the nature of a monarchy. Sin and sorrow are natural for a fallen world. And we actually think that we can achieve peace apart from God. We can't win. Right? We're mistaken. You know, we go to God with this thought that you know, I'll, I'll serve you, God, just as long as I can get my piece of the pie. 
just as long as I can get my 401k, some physical beauty, a good marriage, or respect with the right crowd, or a career, a ton of other different things. But friends, we know this. All it takes is one disaster, one pandemic, and all that stuff is wiped away. Right? All of our best plans are gone. Is that peace? Is that really what we want? See, our self-determined path can only lead to despair and devastation. No beauty, no real joy, no radical security. But God never promised to us a journey without sorrow. He never promised us a journey without insecurity or without a crisis, but he promises to bring us through and to make us a blessing. That is God's promise to us. That kind of mercy can change us. That kind of mercy can make us into a people who will share our best with the world all the time and everywhere, especially as we remember his faithfulness. And that's my third point. God's faithfulness. We can learn to depend on God's mercy if we remember his faithfulness. But it was a part of God's intent from the very beginning. We learn as we read the scriptures to, bring, to provide a king all along. That was his provision for his people. All along he was going to provide a king. But he would provide a king who was a man after his own heart. As we know, we keep reading, and we'll see later on in the rest of the series, that Saul is the first king of God's people. And Saul was terrible. The man was, I mean, he's ratchet, right? But, but then after Saul comes David. Right? And, and God, uh, you know, provides David and blesses his people through him. But look, this is important to get. God's people came to the Lord with a foolish request from foolish hearts. But look at what God does. He even uses our foolishness to bring about his good plan for us. Some of us are worried about, you know, the decisions that we, we've made. But I heard Joseph say what we might intend for evil, God will use for good. Now, this one's free. Think about this. You may be at, in your couch right now, in your kitchen, grabbing your food, like, you know, hey, I got that freedom. I'm at home. He's preaching. I'm going to eat. Nobody's watching. I'm like, Fine. Whatever it is that you're doing right now, think about this. I may have made too many foolish decisions. But if you belong to God, he is still at work in your life for your good. God is that merciful that he can bring about his plan of blessing even through our foolishness. And so when, when David comes to Israel, we, we see that he, uh, throughout history, we learn that he's the greatest king that Israel has ever known. Right? Underneath his rule, they prospered spiritually and economically and militarily and relationally for years. Right? And, but, 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 eventually, he would die. And the security that God's people had in his promise could go right along with him. But wait, 
And watch this, because God is not done. Verse 19, and they said, no, there shall be a king over us that we also may be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And my God said to them, as he says to us, yes, there shall be a king over you, but not like one any nation has ever seen. Who judged us and found us wanting, then hung on a cross for our sins? Who went out before us and suffered betrayal, rejection, destitution, and abandonment for our sake? Who fought the battle on Good Friday and grabbed Satan and death by the throat early one Sunday morning? It was Jesus, the greatest son of David. Jesus, the servant king, who takes the best of what he has, and he gives it to us. And I heard Jesus say, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. I am the way and the truth and the life. Our security lives never to die again. Our security is a living hope. God himself is our mercy. What we need, family, what we need and what the world so desperately needs right now is God's best and not our own. We might feel sometimes confined and constrained and re restricted by service to the king, but he is our only way to the security that we need. I know that this virus is kicking the crap out of us. The pain and the sorrow seems too much to bear. But now is not the time for us to give up faith in our king. No matter how insecure we feel, God in his faithful mercy is not done with us yet. We need to run to him with our allegiance for the sake of the future and the leadership of our country, Lord, have mercy. For the sake of our jobs and our homes, Lord, have mercy. For our hospitals and the poor, our parents, our marriages, our friends, Lord, have mercy. For our grandparents, uncles, aunts, mothers, and fathers, Lord, have mercy. For the lonely and the dying, Lord, have mercy. For your beloved, the church, and for the world you so loved that you gave your only son, Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, you are our shepherd. We shall not want. You make us lie down in green pastures. You lead us beside still waters. You restore our souls. 
You lead us in paths of righteousness for your namesake. Even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil for you, God, are with us. Your rod and your staff, they comfort us. You prepare a table for us in the presence of our enemies. You anoint our heads with oil. Our cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our lives. And we shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you, and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forevermore. Amen.